Hello and welcome to Ipsy Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Mabel Romero, Associate Professor of Law at Northern Illinois University College of Law. My guest today is Robert Anderson, Professor of Law at Pepperdine University Caruso School of Law. So welcome to the show, Rob. Thank you for having me. So this is your first time on the show, I think, right? It is. Okay. I'm, I, I guess I'm excited or something. Um, I know that Brian's been trying to get you on the show for a while. Um, so welcome, like really, I guess. Um, yeah. Thanks you. <laughs> I'm looking forward to it. So, you know, we're, we're not going to be talking necessarily about like an article or something that you wrote, you know, as we usually would for um, Ipsy Dixit. But um, what I wanted to chat with you about today was about scholarship. Um, which I remember, you know, looking at social media and getting like maybe kind of excited and interested in it, like, you know, in 2020 and then nothing happened. And then I was like, okay, where'd it go? Now it finally showed up in 2021. And, you know, I think that this is kind of, you know, seems to be a pretty exciting sort of development for you and for your partner, partner in this venture. Um, but can you tell us a little bit, bit more about what exactly it does? What exactly is scholarship for those of us who don't know? Yeah, so uh, we set out to build what would be an analytical platform for law reviews. And by analytical, we mean not sort of a passive uh, system where you just search it uh, like uh, like existing systems, but one that would actually be able to analyze your draft, one that you could actually interact with, um, and that would take a lot of the um, wasted time and drudgery out of legal research and legal writing Um allowing you to find that needle in the haystack that you spend, you know, so much time clicking through screen 51 of 93 um, uh, result after irrelevant result. Instead, um, the idea is that you can just upload your draft or whatever article you want. It could be a previously published one and get uh, customized results where your draft is your search um, rather than um using uh, search words um, in a search box. So it really kind of turns the whole idea of uh, research on its head in a way that we think is a lot more efficient uh, and ultimately better for both uh, law review authors and law reviews. So this isn't just your baby. You've got a co-founder who's working on this with you too. So, um, you know, tell tell me a bit more just about how you sat around, you know, at some point that must have happened to, you know, kind of think about some of the problems with a sort of law review system, I guess, and how you two decided to approach, you know, trying to put this together initially. I'd like to hear more about, you know, just those sorts of initial steps, I guess. Yeah, so this is the world I live in, like you, um, the law review publishing world. So um, I've been, I've experienced both the ups and downs of it now for uh, 13 years. And um, so obviously, I think any one of us who lives in this world sees lots of potential opportunities for improvement. The only reason I'm even in a position to do it is because I have um, Trent Wenzel, who was my co-founder on a prior prior. Um, company, uh, actually somewhat similar in some ways, where we uh, did analytics for um, contract drafting. Um, And um, we launched that back in 2011, um, ultimately uh, sold it to uh, Bloomberg. Uh, In 2014, it's now part of Bloomberg um, Bloomberg Law. And um, we saw the opportunity to deploy that sort of expertise that we developed in textual analysis um, here in in my own little my own little world of, uh, of legal scholarship. And, you know, 
sort of what we observed was that not very much was being done in terms of improving legal scholarship with technology that, uh, you know, we can submit to many law reviews now very efficiently. Um, we can uh, use, you know, Westlaw or Lexis or Bloomberg to search for things. But none of those tools are actually built for legal scholars. They're built primarily for lawyers or um, in, the, in the case of uh, submissions for other types of journals. And nobody seems to be devoting the attention to actually building tools that are helpful for the specialized type of work that legal scholars do. So that's what we're doing. We're making software for you and for, you know, the uh, several thousand other law professors out there who are actively publishing that makes their lives better, that makes their work better, that helps them find the relevant literature out there, that helps law review editors sort through thousands and thousands of submissions better, um, and that ultimately we hope will um, transition us to a world where some of the worst parts of the law review process will be greatly improved. Not all. Um, there are some things we won't be able to do, um, but I think actually quite, quite a large number of them, we have a, a, you know, a roadmap for making them better. You mean this isn't going to solve all of my problems? Come on. <laughs> it won't. Uh, it won't. But it'll solve. It'll actually solve a lot of them. Um, and, you know, the beta that we've deployed is just the very, very first feature that sort of allows you to find relevant literature to, uh, uh, to your draft that you upload or some other article you upload. But a lot of what we're doing in the future, it builds on that functionality because it's related to it. So, um, you know, it's critical that we be able to find the most relevant literature because that's how we're going to help you uh, to insert citations, to format them. Uh, that's how we're going to help you to make sure you're not preempted, that you don't miss anything that somebody could bring up embarrassingly at a workshop later. You know, essentially, I just take all of the problems that I've experienced as a legal scholar, all of the embarrassing moments, all the failures, all like that, <laughs> and I try to build technology that's going to help to uh, help to reduce that, just like I did, uh, just like Trent and I did with um, uh, with uh, our product for transactional drafting. Have there been a lot of problems and failures, Rob? <laughs> there have, um, there have, <laughs> there have been some embarrassing moments that could have been avoided. Um, but Actually, I'm just teasing. You know, course. even even more than that, think of how much time is put into making sure that those moments don't happen whether it's research assistant time or your time clicking through, you know, um, you know, hundreds and hundreds of irrelevant things because they, you know, you got a hit from a, a word search and it turns out just to be, not be the right, uh, the, 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 the right meaning of the word um, and, or it's just an ancillary point in the article. And instead we just your whole draft. We bring you the most relevant stuff immediately and we let you look through that. I mean, it, it, it's, that sounds really exceptionally appealing, honestly, um, because I feel like I've run into a number of hiccups and my own embarrassments and the like in that respect. So being able to avoid those, I think, would be really, really, really nice, actually. Um, but, you know, you've addressed a little bit of what I wanted to ask about next, and that's just where exactly in development this is. So you said that right now it's in sort of beta. Um, and this is, you know, I've, I've tried, um, well, I have used it, you know, for 
you know, a couple different articles I've run through and everything. So, you know, when I go and use it, you know, um, I want to just talk about what exactly happens when you do that. Um, it's web-based. I think there was sort of a, you know, you have this um, batch of beta testers, I think, that are currently using it right now. But what happens, you know, if I go and use ScholarShift right now? What do I see? How do I use it? Yeah, so uh, you go to our website, scholarsift.com, and we are, we do have a few dozen beta testers right now, I'd say, um, actively using it, including law review editors um, out there, both editor-in-chiefs and articles editors. Um, And um, you can upload just by dragging and dropping uh, from a folder or whatever. You You can upload any law review article. It does currently need to be formatted like a law review article with citations where we're uh, in our new release that won't be won't be necessary, but currently it does. And then what it does is once you uh, drag and drop it in the little box, it looks at everything in your draft or your article, the citations, the words, the combinations of words, the sentence structure, and it compares it to our database of other law review articles, right? notably not just all cases and everything, not all legal stuff but law review articles specifically, right? And that's um, the reason we do that is because our objective is to provide results that are trained based on a set of law review articles because that's what you're writing, okay? So it's not that other items aren't uh, relevant. It suggests cases and books and uh, other things, but it but it determines what to suggest based off law review articles that um, that it's previously analyzed, a few hundred thousand of them, and it's growing every day. Um, and so it just compares your draft to what's out there and then brings you relevant other um, pieces of scholarship or cases or whatever that um, both the ones that are cited in your article and ranks those and then the ones that aren't cited there. So that you can, uh, so that if you're about to submit your article, you can see, you know, what the closest uh, things are that you might have missed through other types of searches. Um, or as you're writing an article, you can um, you can use this to sort of branch off into other re- uh, other uh, possibly relevant pieces of literature instead of just going back to word searching or looking at the citations and some other article. This kind of brings it all to you automatically. It's kind of like let's say you took all the citations, all the things you cited in your article and then um, looked at all the stuff that cited them or that they cited and combined it all into one thing. That's in a, it's not, that's not exactly what it's doing, but that's kind of similar. So it kind of that process that a lot of us do manually of, you know, trying to see which things, which uh, other pieces of literature seem to be most closely related. This just does it in a complete way and instantly. So, you know, you'll have to excuse maybe some of my very sort of basic level questions because I, I'm not exactly sure technically how some of this works, honestly. Um, but what I'm wondering is you've been talking a lot about, well, scholarship being able to determine for you, you know, what's relevant, perhaps what's not, and bring, um, you know, your attention to those pieces out there that might be relevant Um how exactly does scholarship go about determining what's relevant? How do we define that, I guess, for, for purposes of scholarship and um, how we go about using it? Well, I'll start, if I could, with what it doesn't uh, consider, which is it doesn't consider where the other article placed or who wrote it or whether they're famous or um, anything like that. What it does is it looks at the text of what you have, 
okay, and this and the citations that you currently have. And it branches out from there to try to find the things that are closest to that. So I think that's sort of the best way of describing it in lay, lay terms. You know, it um, it uses machine learning to um, to um, uh, co- compare your article, your draft, whatever it might be. It could be an old article that you submitted. Um, it doesn't have to be yours. It could be someone else's. That's a close starting point. And it just goes out and compares um, through a very large network that's been constructed all of the relationships between your article and those other articles, as well as the relationships among them, so that then it's, um, it's able to use not only what you've, uh, what you've uh, put in from your article, it's able to use what it finds from that and then go branch outward in the network until it literally finds everything that, um, that, that could be related. And then it ranks it uh, most closely related to, to least um, and then pr- presents that. And we're working on um, in the next round, there will be some ways to like subset and filter a little bit more than you currently have. Some people do still want to filter down to the most highly cited things, um, you know, because you just don't want you don't want that to be subject to that criticism that you're just not citing the classic article or whatever. We're going to build those types of tools in because we know they're important. But the default's always going to be, you know, what is most relevant based on what you've input. So, you know, it'll return things that you otherwise might not have looked at uh, because they just, you just can't read everything. It's impossible. Yeah. Uh, and so you prioritize and unfortunately, or, you know, the, uh, the rational way to prioritize at the moment is what's written by famous people or placed really well, because, you know, th- that's the stuff that nobody's going to criticize you for citing. Right. But that doesn't mean that it was the most relevant. And as I'm sure, I'm sure you've had the experience of, um, having someone write an article that absolutely should have cited something that you wrote um, <laughs> and they just didn't. And yeah. I think most of the time it's not that they were, you know, trying to disrespect you. I think that just never bubbled to the surface and then no law review editor said, Hey, what about this other article? And so that's the other side of it is in addition to providing tools for authors, we also provide these tools to the law review editors. So mm. they are considering your article they're going to be able to see what the most relevant stuff is and both that you've cited and not cited. And they're going to be able not only to much more um, um, effectively do preemption type checks, but they're also going to be able to say, you know, why didn't this person cite this other article and then go and look at it instead of them just actually re-researching your article, which my understanding is some, especially the uh, more prominent journals, very substantial, very substantial memos about all the related literature that they effectively re-research your article in some cases. So that, you know, this just makes that much easier and better and more effective for them. And then the law review editors um, are able to make, you know, much more informed decisions. And that in turn um, provides an incentive to the authors to submit more informed drafts. So I guess to some extent, I would, you know, you answered a lot of my question that I was going to ask next already. Um, and, you know, a big part that I had was that, you know, scholarship might just end up replicate, replicating sort of old hierarchies that I think everyone who engages in legal scholarship are, you know, they're all already familiar with them. You know, uh, I'll put it very bluntly, classist hierarchies, racist hierarchies, sexist hierarchies, um, where, you know, perhaps if you are at the rich elite 
you know, prominent school, it's a lot easier to get your article placed and then cited again later. Um, so really, I'd like to even dig more into how you envision this perhaps really revolutionizing the way we cite each other and who gets cited and who gets more prominence. Well, I think this disrupts all that, um, to be honest with you. I mean, the more people who use this system, the less relevant those things will be, in, in my opinion. Because as I said, we're not recommending other articles based off um, the prominence of the author or their institution or the or the placement of the of the article. You know, we're recommending what what the computer thinks is the most relevant stuff based off of um, an analysis of the text, right? And that's then there's a decision to be made for the author at that point after that, of course, and that can um, implicate all of the types of um, biases that you're talking about. But at least it's out there and you see it, right? And and the law review editors can see it and they care, you know, law review editors, I'm probably not every single one, but a lot of them care a lot about um, diversifying the uh, the mix of voices that get raised to the top, and I think we see that when when uh, in their article selection, what where we don't see it, and it's not because they don't um, care, but uh, is is in uh, who gets cited in articles that are um, that they that they accept. So you know, a, a prominent law journal might accept an article from somebody who isn't their typical um, type of uh, person they would publish. Right. But that person may themselves, because of all the, the way all these systems work, you know, cited 90% men say, and, and 10% women or what, you know, and, um, and so we're building tools that will allow law review editors to see that as well. Uh, at least estimations of it. Um, you know, how diverse um, in, in, you know, ways that we can identify are your um, are the people you've cited, um, and uh, you know my, I'm hopeful. I mean, the few the law reviews that we have talked to about that were extremely excited about that because they said we just have no way to do that. You know, we care about it, but we can't assign somebody to go down and look at every footnote and see you know whether um, every single citation is basically to a you know a, a, a famous person who's been around for forty years or whether it's a new voice um, from uh, groups that we might not have historically have elevated as much, you know? And so that's, um, that's a really important part of this whole thing. And I think honestly, it just comes with shaking up the way people find the relevant literature. You're going to have this effect, you know, even aside from those tools that try to quantify it. uh, If you change the way people search for stuff, I think you're going to, um, you're going to uh, almost elevate voices that weren't elevated before and you're going to find things that people would have otherwise just overlooked so if anyone is who's listening can hear some jingling in the background or perhaps occasional growling or anything my dog has decided to join us um in the middle of the recording so my apologies (laughs) to everyone listening along but he he seems to be enjoying this a great deal um (laughs) so um you know that was something that i was actually really um excited about in just kind of poking around with ScholarSift and, you know, using it myself, um, you know, I, I ran through a few articles that, you know, I felt like, you know, I, I was pretty familiar with the literature with regard to, you know, criminal law and rurality and other sorts of, you know, things that relate to, you know, rurality and the law in particular. And it was interesting to see what it was able to pull up um, with regard to just stuff I'd never heard of, you know, or, or stuff that I hadn't actually, you know, thought of from, you know, perhaps, 
um, you know, journals that might not be considered like as great of quote unquote placement or something like that, or from um, not well as quite well known authors and everything. So it's really exciting to have this entree to a bunch of literature that I haven't actually read or looked into or haven't been able to find otherwise, actually. Um, So, you know, it's really interesting to see how this works, honestly. Um, But, you know, I've had a few people actually reach out to me, you know, in anticipation of this interview, asking me to ask you, well, how do I win against the algorithm? Um, (laughs) What would you tell them? Is there any winning against the algorithm um, when it comes to ScholarSift? Um, So I don't don't think so. I mean, you know, I think the the, the way – so – uh, you know, law review editors will be using this um, as one tool that they have to to look at um, articles that, you know, to be on- candid, honestly, they're not often very familiar with. They can't be very familiar with every area of scholarly focus. Right. And so they um, they need technology to help them to do that better. And they're going to be using it and they're going to be um, they're going to be looking at things like, you know, this other article seems to be pretty similar to what you wrote and you don't discuss it at all. Why not? Um, but I don't think it's winning against the algorithm. I mean, I think it's just writing an article that, um, that addresses, you know, the, the relevant literature and things that are quite close to yours that you may have just not even seen, you know, it's, I don't think very many legal scholars are intentionally trying to ignore stuff, you know, but it's impossible to read everything. And so, um, so the computer does it for you. And it finds things. And a lot of the things it finds aren't going to be relevant. You're going to say, hey, out of the first 10 things, like eight of them, I saw them and they, I decided that they weren't relevant. And that's, that's fine. It doesn't write the article for you. What it does is it's a safety net, you know, at least the initial version that we have now, that, um, that protects you from missing really obvious stuff. And so I don't think there's any gaming it um, that, that I can see. I mean, you know, to, to the extent there is something like that. I mean, one of the things that's really important, um, it, this functionality isn't in place yet, but it will be, is that um, is for um, authors to make accounts um, and upload uh, uh, pieces that we don't have. Because there's a lot of, you know, most law review articles are uh, available for, you know, free and open use uh, through the commons, but um, some aren't. Mm-hmm. And if have the text of your article, it's much harder to recommend it. So, um, you know, the, if there is a game to it, I'm not even sure that's the right thing. It's just, you know, um, uploading your article will be really, really critical if it's not already in the system and you can test that because, um, if we have the text of your article, we're able to recommend it to other people much more so than if we don't, because if we don't have the text of it, then all we can rely on is, um, is citations to it mm-hmm. because we can't see anything about it. We don't know it exists other than that. And those that's going to tend to bias things that are already heavily cited. So, you know, that I think is to the extent there's a way to um, not so much for submissions, but a way to increase the visibility of your work. Yeah. That's going to be what it is, is just making sure your work is in there um, because that, uh, that increases our ability to recommend it to others. So everyone, you want to make sure that your work is well represented. Just get it uploaded already. (laughs) So that, well, you you can't do it already since it's not there yet, but soon. (laughs) Soon. You know what I'm saying though? Like, like start working on it in in anticipation of this happening, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. And and our, our expectation is that, you know, 
um, that in many institutions, there will be somebody who will take care of this for faculty members who otherwise don't don't want to, just like they do with SSRN. Um, in many institutions, um, someone, you know, library or others will upload that stuff because uh, law schools want their faculty's work to be visible. And so, you know, SSRN is one way to be visible. It's a passive way to be visible, but it's one way. And this is going to be an active way to be visible because um, once your once your article's uh, in the system, it'll start getting recommended to people who are searching for for stuff uh, to cite right away. Mm-hmm. So you know, I, I'm looking at this from the perspective of being in the thick of submission cycle right now. I'm sort of frantically trying to get an article out the door, um, mm-hmm. you know, and finally you know get that taken care of and squared away. Um, but, you know, I think about the cost of, you know, engaging the submission cycle. If you're paying for this out of pocket or something like that, you know, it's like six fifty a pop, you know, and it's not cheap for schools either. And some schools, especially given the sort of current budget crunches that are happening, are starting to um, sort of ration the number of submissions that you're allowed to do. So how do you actually expect scholarship will lead to perhaps reducing the volume of submissions in future? Yeah, great. It's a great question. Um, and this is not a um, submission uh, tool. Um, so we'll never charge somebody to submit to, you know, 150 law reviews. It's not um, it's, it's not that type of tool. This is a substantive tool that helps you engage with relevant literature and uh, write better articles and helps law review editors choose better articles more quickly and, um, and with, on a more informed basis. But that being said, um, uh, once your article is in our system or your draft is in our system and, you know, there will be an opportunity to, to check off when it's available for submission, law reviews will be able to uh, to find it because it'll go into their um, their editor's pools on their ScholarSift account, right? And they'll be able to sort it uh, and they'll uh, be able to... Um, uh, to make offers on it if they want to. We may not build that functionality in the platform or not. I'm not sure. But um, but the idea here is that instead of just, you know, submitting to 150 different journals, some of which aren't even looking for anything or they have a special, uh, you know, an idea of what they want, um, the uh, this will actively um, give the law review editors what they're looking for. Um both from our system and from other submission systems, if the law review editors choose to input it. So our expectation is that probably, you know, um, initially uh, it's not going to be a major source of submissions because they'll just be taking the articles that are submitted through other systems and running it through ScholarSIF to, you know, they can, they have the ability to just put a whole folder of, you know, 3000 articles in there and get a uh, instant uh, well, not instant, but very close to instant readout on all of them. Um, but um, but ultimately, um, I think people will be, quote unquote, submitting through our system as well, just by checking off that your article is available. Um, and then um, as once there's a larger number of articles in our system like that, it'll probably, you know, be in an alternative way that law reviews are able to find stuff. And I, you know, I hope um, that will provide some downward pressure on the cost of, of submissions, which um, I, I don't, uh, I don't see it going down. Um, mm-hmm. And, um, and unfortunately it's, um, it's just not good for anyone to have one way to submit to law reviews. I'll just put it that way. Uh, it doesn't, uh, 
It, it, it doesn't help authors. It doesn't help law schools. It doesn't help law reviews. There should be more than one way uh, to do it that's, uh, that's convenient for law review editors and for authors. And we're happy to provide that. And, uh, you know, one of the things that people have asked us for is like, could you implement some of the ideas for limiting submissions that people would like to do? Like, could you like submitting to 12 journals and agreeing to take whichever one among those 12 is the first to make an offer? So I'm just throwing yeah. you know, an example out there of something that people have mentioned. Yeah. And we will implement those, um, those features if law reviews want them, uh, because it doesn't matter to us how many things you submit to because we don't get paid for that. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's the idea is that if you're getting paid based on the number of submissions, you have no incentive to create technology that limits submissions. In fact, incentive not to do that. Yeah. And so that's why we're trying to, um, to sort of change that game. So, you know, we've been talking a lot about how scholarship might be useful, might be useful, excuse me, to, you know, legal scholars and to law reviews and everything. Do you envision a place for scholarship with, um, you know, law students, even outside of the law review context? Yeah, I do. I mean, I think it's a, I think it's a great way for a law student to write, say, a seminar paper or something like that, because, you know, um, typically you have to start deciding a topic for that before you've even, you know, really read everything. Or And uh, so if there's, let's say, you're taking a seminar and you have to write a paper for that seminar. Um, and as you're going through in week, you know, four, you find one paper that really resonates with you and you'd really like to, um, to write something related to that. Well, then you can just analyze that paper. And if it's an old one, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's been, um, engaging with it and, and scholarships will just return all of those, all the relevant papers that are sort of orbiting most closely around that one. So that then you can start researching and see where the opportunity is for you to write on something that someone hasn't written on yet. So, I mean, I think it, it works equally well for law review notes, but um, but but just as well for even just um, paper workshop uh, for um, uh, seminar papers that uh, that students have to write. Um, and luckily, with that, I mean, the way the subscriptions are going to work is it's going to it'll be pretty. Uh, pretty affordable because you probably only need to use it, you know, for one month or so. Um, unlike you know, a faculty member would probably use it the whole year. Um, and, and so we've intentionally made that, uh, you know, to be, uh, to be affordable. So when do you anticipate the next sort of big stage of development? It's in beta right now. When should we expecting this to finally, I guess, for lack of a better way of putting it, when do we expect a, a big drop on scholarship for everyone, you know, that it opens up for everyone to use? <laughs> well, um, yeah, so we, you know, we have been actively accepting new beta uh, folks. I mean, provided they have a lawschool.edu account um, and giving giving out new trials. So we initially cl- wanted to do a closed, but there were just so many people who wanted to try it that we we thought that was, wasn't, uh, we changed that. Um but um, we're doing a big update um, in the next week or two um, that's going to have them de- deliver much more relevant results than uh, what people have seen if they've used it already. Um, and um, then we have to incorporate all of the feedback that we get through the beta, which, you know, uh, at least in theory, closes on March 1st. Um, so and we've already been getting a lot of feedback and we've already built some new features that we could we could name after specific people, you know, um, <laughs> but we could. Um, and, um, so 
you know, our hope is that within a month or so of the of that closing on March 1st, we'll have all the feedback in and be able to incorporate those comments and roll out some of our new search features, which uh, uh, which aren't in the current uh, beta platform, but are really exciting, totally new ways to search for stuff um, that I don't think anyone's ever seen before on any search platform. So um, that's so I would say I would say uh, certainly certainly by the fall submission season, but probably quite a bit earlier. Well, that's exciting. And I think a lot of people are going to be looking forward to that. I was supposed to ask you one more question just based on a Twitter poll with regard to, you know, why are you so annoying? But this was imminently unannoying. In fact, it was very informative. <laughs> so thank you for joining me to talk about scholarship for today. Um, you know, and I'm looking forward to see what, seeing what happens with it next. Thanks so much. I mean, it's just exciting for us to be building something for people like us who experience our problems, who know, you know, about this. And, and it's, um, we're really, you know, really if folks, um, if folks have used the software and see ways we can improve, let us know, we'll build it. Uh, you know, if it's, if, if we can reasonably do it, we want to make, we want to make the tools that legal scholars want and, uh, that law review editors want. And we want to, um, we want to make uh, legal scholarship better um, in, uh, for everyone. So um, we're hope, we, we hope people will reach out to us and let us know what they like, what they don't like, um, and that they will uh, sign up for accounts and upload their papers. Great. You heard him. If you want to see something, get a hold of him. So thanks, Rob. <laughs> Thank you so much. Bye.